Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for your abundant provision for the blessings that we have received as we consider, uh, God, how blessed we are on a worldwide scale. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the Horn of Africa this morning, for those who are suffering and struggling uh, to meet the bare necessities of life. God, I pray that you would take the the efforts and the monies that we send, and Lord, that you would use it to bring relief, and you would use it to uh, minister and to give hope and life. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation who uh, this is a tough day for, this is a tough time, that you would minister grace and encouragement to them. And Lord, for the believers, I pray, Lord, that you'd use this time to strengthen our resolve and that we might glorify you as we recognize how good and faithful you are. So, Lord, we ask right now that you would speak to us and that you would move in us, that you would receive the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray all of these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Revelation. And a few weeks ago, I did Revelation 1 and kind of did the background and the overview. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because there's a lot of background that I gave you at that time that I think is important for you to understand. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses this morning back in chapter 1, which, again, we went through a couple of weeks ago. But if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Revelation 1. Verse 8, and John, of course, the disciple, we believe, wrote this book, and um, he wrote it, uh, we know, in a time in which persecution had already begun, in which it, it would continue. A matter of fact, uh, there are scholars who who have it listed as what they call the ten great persecutions uh, of the early century that kind of start uh, from uh, shortly after the time of Christ. Uh, up through the uh, mid-300s, even up to about 400. And there's 10 of them listed through 10 different Roman emperors, Uh, certainly starting with Nero in 64. uh, We know that the fire of Rome was placed uh, on Christians. Most scholars believe certainly that was as a scapegoat. Uh, But there was a lot of animosity toward Christianity, particularly from the Roman government. You might ask the question, why was that? Why were people always persecuting Christians? Why, why did this even occur? Why did this happen? Well, there were several reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, there was the moral reason. Because Christi- Christians during this time, they began to teach and they began, people began to be converted and they began to teach that, you know what? Marriage should be between one man and one woman. Not only that, they uh, didn't participate in a lot of the uh, sexual temple worship. Uh, not only that, uh, they believed that life was a gift from God. And many times people would take their daughters, if they were not son, and leave them outside the wall to die of exposure of wild animals. And they began to teach against that and even begin to take those children in. They began to minister to the poor and the sick, although many would think it was because of their sin or because of something they had done wrong the gods had cursed them. And so there was an outcry against them because it morally affected their life. Not only did it morally affect their life, but some felt affected uh, economically. The government didn't like it one bit that uh, as Christianity began to spread, that people no longer were bringing sacrifices to the temple. Now, what difference does that make? Well, because they would have to pay for those sacrifices and they would make them to the different goddess, gods and goddesses. And there was a, there was money to be made. And in certain areas, those temples started to severely thin out. 
because of people being converted to Christ. If you remember, once you became a believer in Christ, not only uh, were they not uh, participating in those kind of services, but now they weren't making even sacrifices to God Almighty because Christ had become the sacrifice once in for all. So it hurt them economically. Also, the government didn't like it because several of the Caesars, we know that Nero did this, we know that Domitian did this, they demanded that they be worshipped as a god. Kaiser Caesar, basic Kaiser Curios. They believed that the uh, they were deities themselves, or they proclaimed to be deities, and required that type of worship. And so Christians were unwilling to say that Caesar is Lord. And many of them paid a price, either through torture, imprisonment, some were enslaved, and some, of course, were killed. And so as you begin to see that background and that backdrop, John is writing this letter to some who've already experienced some of this persecution, and he knows that there is a lot more still to come. And he's giving them something that they can go to. He's giving them the revelation of Jesus Christ as Jesus has spoken this word of encouragement. They needed this book. They needed this letter in order to endure the times that would come ahead, that would come still ahead, and yet the things that they were enduring even at the present day. So this book is written at that time, uh, matter of fact, these first couple of, uh, first couple of chapters to give hope to the churches. Of course, the universal principle, it still gives hope to us today. But they would have understood it. And understood it, they did. It's remarkable what they did when you go back and you look at the martyrs of Christian history. If we just start with the disciples, where Stephen was stoned, and it's believed that maybe as many as 2,000 others ex- experienced persecution during that time. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Matthew was beheaded. James was beaten to death by a club after being crucified. Mattathias was stoned and beheaded. Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified. Mark was beaten to death. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Um, Luke was hanged. And Simeon was crucified. And then John, it is believed, by some that he was placed in boiling oil, but he didn't die, but ended up serving the rest of his days on the Isle of Patmos in exile in a prison camp. You continue to go and you see Polycarp, one of the early Christians who uh, incidentally was discipled by John. He uh, looked at John as his mentor and he's burned at the stake for his faith, willingly given his life. And who was he? He was the Bishop of Smyrna, one of the letters that we will read later on. You see Irenaeus, uh, who was also killed. It was thrown to the lion's deal, who wrote letters to Ephesus, which we will look at next week. He wrote a letter to Philadelphia, also discipled by John, considered John a father of the faith. We see that John had a huge impact through this letter, that God used this letter to give hope and to inspire faith. And it's meant to do the same thing to us today as we read the book of Revelation. Let's look at Revelation 1.8. As Jesus is speaking here, as He's been giving uh, this revelation to John, the words in red you see clearly if you have a Bible that's, uh, that has red letter edition. It says here, I am the Alpha and 
the Omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I have always been and I always will be, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. This is one of the most obvious statements of the deity of Christ that we have in the Bible. Jesus makes it very clear. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I have always been and I always will be. I am the Eternal One. I am God. He makes it crystal clear in this passage right here, in this verse right here. Now, let's flip over to verse 17. Uh, in Revelation chapter 1. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, speaking of Jesus here, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I'm the first. I'm the Alpha. And I am the Omega. I am the living one. I was dead. You know that I was crucified, placed in a grave. But on the third day I rose again and conquered sin and death. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever, eternally. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus makes it ultimately clear here that He is the beginning and that He is the end. So here's the question we have to answer today. Where do we start? What is our alpha point? Jesus didn't say, I'm the beta and the omega. I came a little later after everything got started. He said, no, I'm the alpha. I've been here from the beginning. I'm the alpha and the omega. Here's my first question to you today. What is your alpha point? What is your alpha point? How do you make the determination of how you live your life? What you value? What you're living for? Well, it all starts with our alpha point. You see... Really, almost all of all of humanity can be broken down into one of two positions when we look at our alpha point. Either I believe this, that I was designed by our Creator and that I'm not an accident and I have a purpose in life. I can believe that. I can believe that it was no accident that I was born. That the Creator, and we would say, God Almighty created me and I was designed and made by Him and I am put here to serve purpose in life. So that can be our alpha point. Or you can have this alpha point. I am simply a random collection of molecules that just happened to come together and just happened to occur during this time. So it's really not important, my alpha point. <clears throat> What's important is how I live here on earth and that I enjoy myself and that things go well. And then it's just kind of all over at the end anyway. So you have to answer the question on your alpha point. Are you just... A random group of chemicals? Uh, are you just molecules who happen to come together through different forces in nature? Or were you designed and created by an almighty God with purpose and meaning that he knows you and created you? Which one, which point will you begin with? What is your alpha point? Because it has huge ramifications on how you live your life and how your life ends. Of course, as believers in Christ, we believe that Jesus is the Alpha Point. So we start with Him. We believe that He created us. We believe that He designed us, that He has made us. And He has made us for His glory. And we are to seek Him for our purpose, which is to bring Him glory. So, as you think about that, you have to answer that 
First initial question, what is my alpha point? If I do believe I've been designed by God, I've been created by God, then it stands to reason and logic that he has purpose for me, that he cares about me, that he loves me. The problem is sometimes we just get so myopic, we just think about ourselves. And we don't see the bigger picture for which God created us. You know, one of the things we do at our church is we encourage people a lot of times to go overseas and go to third world countries. As a matter of fact, there's probably in the last 12 months about 75 people who've gone overseas, who've, who've left the United States. And one of the reasons I think that's good, because it was transformational for me uh, after college, because... I don't, you don't really appreciate everything you have till you get away from it. Once you go to a third world country, you come back and you go, man, sure is nice to have air conditioning. Sure is nice to have clean water. Sure is nice to have a home. Sure is nice to have a car. Sure is nice to feel safe that we don't have people with AK-47s walking around in the neighborhood. I mean, you start to recognize how tremendously blessed you are. And, you know, it's almost like sometimes we have to step aside spiritually and we see the junk in the world. We see the pain. We, we see just the morbid behavior and we have to step back and recognize how blessed we are and how much chaos occurs when our alpha point is simply, you know what, whatever makes me feel good, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever pleases me, I will decide what's right. I will decide what's wrong. No one has that permission. I don't think there really is a God who's in control of the earth. So I will determine my own values. You know, I have a, a watch here. And I was the king of getting cheap watches or fake watches, actually. I, uh, the, you know, I love to get those tag hewers that they're not real. Matter of fact, the first one I paid was $10 for it. And I'd wear it. And uh, people say, nice watch. I say, thank you. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> The problem was, and, and I've done this like five or six times. The problem is, is after about six months, something goes wrong. You know, it, it doesn't keep time right. You know, I'm, I'm wiggling it. Like this one, the, the top popped off of it. Another one, the glass pops off. And then I take it to watch shop. Like, they're not going to know. Can you fix my watch? And they always look and they go, you know, this is not real. I, I know it's not real. Everybody else doesn't know it's real. I know it's not real. <laughs> Sir, it's actually going to cost me more to put a plate on this than you probably paid for your watch. How much do you pay for my watch? Ten dollars. Um, sir, I would recommend that you just get a real watch. But no, I, I've done this several times. You know, the time's off. It stops. And I can you give me a new battery. Your battery's going to cost more than your watch. And I kept doing that. And finally, somebody felt sorry for me. And they, they gave me a real watch. And they go, we, we, I want to give you a watch. I guess they just noticed uh, this sad turn of events. And so they gave me this watch. And I've got this great watch now. And I don't have to put a battery in it. I don't have to wind it. Just the movement. And, and, it, and it's great. And what I needed is I didn't need another battery. I didn't need to get another band fixed. I didn't need another crystal. I needed a watch. I needed a different watch. I needed a new watch. And that's who Jesus is. He's come not to you to say, all right, I'm going to help you make this payment. Or, you know what? I'm going to help your children a little bit. I'm going to help your wife a little bit. I'm going to help you with this job. We so often come to Jesus as a beta point. Jesus, can you just help me a little? We don't come saying, God, here's my life. <clears throat> it's not working. It's a mess. I don't just need a new battery. I don't need a new watch band. I need a new watch. I need a new life. God, I need transformation. And let me tell you this. We don't experience salvation until we come to that place. 
where we say, God, I need more than a battery. I need more than a band. I need a new life. I need you to transform me, forgive me, and I want you to be my alpha point. And not only do I want you to be my alpha point, I want you to be my omega point. He's the beginning and the end. So not only have I been created by him and for him, but I have also been created to be eternally with him. And that is the purpose I'm living my life for. Here's a real simple way to look at it. What is your omega point? What is your omega point? What do I mean by that? What is it in your life that if you don't have this, then you have no point in living? There's no point to life. If I don't have this, I don't have a point to live. If you would say, if I don't have my job, there's no point in living. If I don't have money, there's no point in living. Then that's your omega point. And Christ came to transform you. Not to help you with your omega point, but to become your omega point. You see, it can be this simple. Either God is a means to your omega point or your means are your omega point to God. Okay? So either you are using God, let me put this simply, either you are using God to try to get what you want, your omega point, God, help me with this. I just need a little more money. I just need a better job. God, will you help me get this house? Will you help me get this car? Will you straighten out my son? Will you fix my husband? That's what I need, God. That's why I'm coming here. I need you to do this. I need you to straighten this out. I need you to fix this. And God is saying, no, what you really need is me. You really need a new life. You need a new perspective. You need the old things passed away and all things become new. You need me to transform your life. And I need to become your omega point. Right now, you're allowing these things to be your omega point. And I want to ask you to trust me. I want you to see that you exist upon this earth for a purpose, and that is to bring me glory. And I'm going to redeem all your pain. I'm going to redeem all your difficult circumstances, all your struggles in life. One day, I am the final judge. I am the omega judge. And all of that will be redeemed. But I need you to trust me, and I need you to worship me. And I need you to recognize that I'm the God of the universe, and you need to live your life in a way that you recognize you are working toward that day. That I created you, I established you, I made you for the purpose of glorifying me. And this whole time in between, until you come to the end, is meant to bring me glory. That is to be our omega point. And when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the first and I'm the last. He's saying for you and for me, I am your Alpha point. Start with me. Recognize I created you and that I love you. And recognize your omega point that one day I will judge all of humanity. Everything will be made right. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And everything will be set right. And so you want to prepare for that day and you want to live for me until that time. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and I am the last. Recognize me as God, I'm not here to just try to add some happiness to your life, to just add some opportunity, to just help you a little bit with your finances. That was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I've been a good dude. I've been going to church, going to temple. I've been trying to keep all the laws. I'm a good dude. And I'd like to follow you. And Jesus basically said this. 
Am I your Alpha and Omega? Because if I'm your Alpha and Omega, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell everything and come follow me. The Bible says that he left very unhappy. He left sad because Jesus wasn't his Omega point. Jesus was going to be his means to deal with his guilt or to deal with his pride or to make him feel better. But he wasn't his actual Omega point. Uh, let me put it to you this way. Let's suppose that um, we were going outside and um, I, I was going outside with somebody. Let's say um, I'll take George here. And I was going out with George and Cindy and I was walking out and um, we were walking out the parking lot and we were talking. And as we're talking, <clears throat> all of a sudden, uh, some crazy teenager comes driving through in a sports car and just speeding through real fast. And George and Cindy aren't paying real close attention. And I push them out of the way. And it nicks me, and it tears my shirt up. I'm bleeding, my elbow's bleeding, my shirt is torn and ripped. And they come to me and they go, thank you so much for what you did. Thank you so much for saving us. And I go, a lot of good it did me. I tore my shirt. I can never wear this shirt again on Sunday. This was a good shirt. This is an expensive shirt. I didn't pay for it, but somebody gave me this shirt, and, and now I can't ever wear it again. What would they think? They would think, you don't really even care about me, do you? You don't really even care what happened. What I'd be saying is, my omega point wasn't your life. My omega point was my shirt. It's about me. And that's the way a lot of us live. How does this affect me? God, forget your kingdom. This is not comfortable. This is not working for me right now, I tell you, Lord. This is ripping my shirt. I've tried to tithe. I've tried to be good. I've tried to serve and... A lot of good it did me. My shirt's ripped. I lost my job. This is not working. We didn't qualify for our home that I wanted to get in. I've been dreaming about it. This is not working. My shirt's ripped. A lot of good all this has done me. What we're saying is, i got a different omega point. You're not my first and last. I remember when I was... In high school, I think one of the ways that God really exposes what our Omega point is is through unanswered prayer. Remember, I was in high school. A lot of you can tell this story. You know, and I fell in love. My first true love, this girl, Lisa Hillman, you know, and we're going to get married because we're 16 and we're stupid. And uh, we're talking about it, you know, and all this kind of stuff and how many children we're going to have. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't even pay for gas in my 1972 Grand Torino Sport with no air conditioning at the point. Working at a pizza place for $2 an hour. And uh, we're talking about getting married. And um, so I love Lisa. It's going to be great. Lisa and I. You know what I mean? And so this is going to be a great deal. And so here it is. And um, I go off the summer. I go work at a Christian camp. I mean, I was such a good guy. I go work for all these little RA boys. And uh, I come back and, you know, Love Jesus, telling her about she's a good Christian, but something happens, and Lisa's like, she goes, you know, she used the the God talk on me. I just don't feel like God wants me to be dating you anymore. What? Are you crazy? You know, and I talk to her and tell her how crazy she is. I get mad and I act like a 16-year-old boy and, you know, and it just makes it worse. Now I don't even want to talk to you. Don't even call me. You know, I mean, it's just not good at all. And, of course, you know, we hit the, the summer's come back and I've got all our classes. We're sitting next to each other, you know, so here we are and she doesn't like me and I like her. And so I'm being real mature about the whole time. 
you know, and I'm just dying inside. And I'm praying, God, please, please, I can't take this. This is breaking my heart. I'm just not going to make it. I'm not sleeping at night. I'm not eating ding-dongs. I'm so depressed. I mean, it's the whole thing. You know, I'm just depressed and discouraged. And I go through that whole year, and she never comes back to me. I go off to college. I, I still hurt. I mean, it was ridiculous. I'm, I'm still bothering me. You know, we're at different schools. And, and matter of fact, she started dating some other guy. And I, it made me mad every time I'd see him. And um, he wasn't even a believer. What kind of Christian are you anyway? And I told her that, by the way. And uh, because I'm so dang godly. And so, you know, I'm just struggling with all this. And I'm going off to school and still hurting with no girlfriend. Everybody's got a girlfriend in college but me, of course. And, um, you know, it's just killing me. And um, that she's got some new boyfriend who plays basketball, and he's an athlete, and he's well-known, and people like him more than me. And it's just a bummer, I tell you. Well, I find out from another friend that that guy, and this is only about an hour from where I grew up where I was going to college, that he had an injury. He tore his meniscus and something else, messed his knee all up, can't play anymore. And so um, he's at a hospital. And it's only about a hospital about five miles from where I'm going to college. And I, I remember this, this guy come and tell me who was mutual friends of ours. He said, um, so just wanted you to know he's in the hospital. You know, just thought you might want to know. And I remember I, at this time I've decided I'm going to be a minister. Uh, you know, I'm still dealing with my junk. And I, I remember just praying and having a quiet time. I remember God just said, I want you to go visit him in the hospital. I'm thinking, what? I want you to go visit him in the hospital. I want you to go, his name was Robert McManus. I want you to go visit Robert McManus in the hospital. So, you know, and so I just, I get so convicted. So I go to McDonald's and get some fries and a shake and I go knock on the door. And actually it was kind of cool because he's all, you know, hung up there. There's nobody in the room and he sees my face. I knock on the door. I go, Robert, he goes, yeah. And I mean, he can't move. And his eyes are big. So it was kind of worth it for that moment right there. And um, I get in there, and <clears throat> we start talking. And he starts saying nice things to me. He goes, you know, I've always thought you are a great guy. And and uh, and, and I, I didn't say that to him. And I, I uh, we just talked for a little while. And <clears throat> and then I said, hey, man, I just wanted to bring you this. He goes, thanks so much for doing that. And, and uh, he goes, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I said, well, you know what? I just felt like God just really led me to come over. I just wanted to share with you. And uh, I just very very lightly shared the gospel with him and um, and I said can I just say a prayer over you he goes absolutely and I left and uh, and I went on back to school didn't think about it well lo and behold about six months later I get a church job as a part-time youth minister at this church and it happened to be the area where he lived and where he was going to school and uh, I didn't still didn't think much about it and uh, and then one day um, he sh- he pops up at our church and he says um he goes, man, I just wanted to thank you for that time you came by. That that really meant a lot to me. And he goes, man, my life's a mess. And he started telling me how he said I'm on drugs. I'm, I'm addicted, man. I'm just I'm just messed up. I've had to drop out of school. Um, my grades are terrible. And he said I'm I'm just a mess. And I, I don't even know if I want to keep going on. And so we talked for a little while there, and and um, he ended up right there with me praying and receiving Christ. Started coming every week. And, you know, by this time she had left him too, by the way. And, um, and, you know, and it ended up being a neat relationship. And I remember I had a chance to baptize him. He goes, he goes, man, you know, 
that day you came to the hospital. He goes, that's what saved me. That's what saved me. I said, well, that's not really what saved you. But uh, he said, yeah. He said, I just, I just realized, you know, I said, why would he do that? And it just was in the back of my mind. And when all these things were happening and I was kind of all messed up, I just thought, I, I know that Ron guy's at that church. I'm going to go over there and talk to him. Now, I don't tell you that's right. I, like, that's the only one I got for my life like that, okay? So it's not like I'm some saint. I'll tell you that right now. But you know what? I never get my girlfriend back. She might marry somebody else. I don't know where she is. And, uh, but I got a great wife now. I'm, and I'm so thankful for unanswered prayers because my wife is ten times better than her. I got two beautiful children that I wouldn't have. Thank God for unanswered prayer. A lot of us could give testimony right now for some dork we were going to marry in high school. And thank God he didn't answer our prayer. Okay? Thank God for unanswered prayer. But you know what's interesting is God redeemed all of that. Now sometimes you won't see that till you get to heaven. But God can redeem all things. He can redeem your pain. He can redeem your struggles. If we will trust Him, if He will be our omega point. So is your omega point, no, I'm not going to do that. I, this is what I deserve. I'm going to sit here and this is about me. I deserve better. Or are you going to say, God, I'll do whatever. If it hurts, if it costs, I'm willing. God, I want you to be my omega point. Because if I know if you're my omega point... Everything that I do, every suffering, every deed that I do, you will ultimately redeem for your glory. Do you believe that? Have you made God your Alpha and your Omega? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you, God, that you are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. The first and the last. And if we can grasp that concept that we are not randomly made, that we are not an accident, that it wasn't just through an obscure process of events, but that you really created us, that you purposed us to be here, and that you are the omega, you are the final point, you're the first point and the final point of our life. Lord, that we can live this life knowing that all our efforts, all our deeds, all our prayers all our service, all our giving, everything that we do ultimately goes towards you and towards your glory. And you redeem all things in heaven. And you redeem even some things here on earth that we get to see. God, I pray that you would give us that vision. Just as you gave the people of Revelation a vision to see, though this persecution will come, I am your Alpha, I am your Omega, and all things will be made right in me so you can die for your faith knowing that it's worth it, knowing that you live with purpose and that you're dying with purpose. I pray that that would be true of us. And Lord, if there's one here today who's just existing, who's just said, I'm checking out Christianity, or I'm just here to see how God might be able to help me get ahead a little bit, I pray, Lord, that they would meet the real and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this day. They would come to know Him as their Alpha and Omega. And Lord, we pray this for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.